Welcome to Belief Beat. I'm John Horner-Eibler, this week's host, and I'm joined this week by my other colleagues in ordained ministry at Unity Lutheran Church, Sherry Lorbeck, Muriel Otto, Josh Evans, and I introduced them in that order because uh, I decided how, what order do you introduce these people in? And I decided to go with a good COVID-19 category, which is hair length, given the difficulty of any of us attending to our hair or anything else, personal appearance. I think Sherry came into it with the longest hair and has maintained the lead. Muriel's been catching up, and then Josh and I are a distant third and fourth in no particular order. Sherry, welcome. Hey, good to see or good to see all of you and good to be with everyone today. I think my boys, though, have beat me out. Um, they are desperately <laughs> in need of haircuts at this point. Um, and it's, it's really good just to be able to be together. Hey, I, I'm so detached from this stuff. How much does a kid haircut co cost these days? Uh, well, I think anywhere from 15 to 25. <laughs> oh, seriously? Wow, man, that's expensive. Hey, Muriel, welcome. Hey, Alice still has never had a haircut in her entire life. And she was on a Zoom call and someone uh, said she looked like Tarzan. <laughs> so I think it's probably time. And Alice was like, what's Tarzan? I don't know. Welcome, Josh. Hey, John and everyone else. It's good to be here. You know, it's just like being on uh, my moment on Fresh Air. Uh, you know, just just like that, right? Unity Podcast, NPR Fresh Air. Just like uh, that. I did, uh, I did get a haircut recently. I managed to get into my place uh, right towards the end of May, and it was just the, the weirdest experience. Uh, I had never seen these um, face shields in person before, but they basically had these like in almost looked like a welding mask. It was the strangest yeah. thing, uh, but was very grateful uh, after missing three appointments during this entire COVID thing to get back in. So, uh, well, welcome to all of you. I benefited from my wife Barbara spending a half hour cutting my hair at some point, and everyone said it looked very nice. But I'm looking forward to getting back to Patty Merrill, who is the person who uh, usually does it and. Uh, no, when my hair looks bad, it's never Patty's fault. It's just that I didn't make the appointment soon enough. Well, we are here on Belief Beat, and um, for most of the episodes that we've run lately, we've been talking to members about uh, their experiences and uh, kind of their uh, insights into how we can all survive uh, COVID-19 in a uh, more effective way. Uh, we did have one week where we visited with some of our partners at Hephatha Lutheran, uh, in the city of Milwaukee, and uh, we'll want to revisit uh, with both partners at Hephatha and across Lutheran. Uh, that conversation took place during COVID, but uh, before George Floyd's killing, and that just opens a lot of wounds for uh, the people in those communities and a lot of opportunities for a community like ours to, to hear them and walk with them and to grow in faith. So uh, an important thing for us to come back to. This week, though, it, it seemed good just to, to talk as four pastors of this congregation uh, about matters of belief and faith. And we put out a little poll uh, asking for people's questions, and we thought we'd toss in a few of ours as well. I think it's always easier to, to, to hear a conversation when you know the people who are a part of it. So I think a good starting point for us is, is if each person 
share us just a little bit about yourself, anything you want, really. And then has there been, uh, maybe there have been many, maybe there have been none, but has there been at least one faith turning point in your life that you can think of that you'd want to share? And I had warned Sherry that she'd be first on this one, so that's where we're going. Sherry, how about you? Uh, thanks, John. I, I think there are so many turning points in our lives. Sometimes the, the trick is to um, being able to see them when they're happening. Um, sometimes we have to look back in our lives and, and realize the impact that they've made on us. But I just think back to when I was in um, middle school, high school age, I just had so many questions about God and faith and the Bible. And um, I, I just was always supported in asking those questions. Uh, the the pastors at our church, uh, even the bishop when he came uh, to, to visit and to preach would just welcome my questions, not run the other way, and were honest if they didn't know an answer, would say that. Um, and, and I just take away from that experience that it's okay to ask questions. Um, you know, people um, are, are created by God. We've been created with these minds. And though we don't necessarily understand all that's in God's minds, um, you know, there's a lot that we can question and try and um, discern too from what God is constantly trying to speak to us. Uh, so that that was just a real turning point in my life is that um, there, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to um, not know everything either. And um, all of us sort of have access to um, interpretation of those scriptures ourselves. Cool. Yeah, you don't by any chance remember any of the questions you had at that point, do you? Oh, yeah. I think one of the, like, the most basic ones I had was if Moses wrote the first five books of the scriptures, how, does it, how is it that he dies at the end? And then, um, you know, for sure, as I read the New Testament, you know, all of the parts about women speaking in church and, you know, or keeping silent in church, you know, what, what, what to do with that? You know, how, how is it that um, women could be pastors or women could, could speak in church or lead? Um, and, and I just remember, you know, not, not being shut down by any of those things, but, you know, um, kind of be, being able to have a, an adult conversation about some of those topics and, um, you know, learn more about how the Bible was written and what was happening at that time that um, some of those words came to be. That was just really beneficial for me. Wow, cool. That's really awesome you had faith mentors like that, that, that early in life. Hey, Muriel, how about, how about you? Uh, a turning point? Well, I actually have a, a really obvious one in that, <laughs> um, which was my baptism. Yeah, I, tell us about that. Yeah, I, I, I love that we baptize babies at, at Unity. I, I cry every single time we do a baptism. But no, it was I was baptized when I was 17. And there is something special about that because I remember it. Um, and, you know, from a totally secular family and then had joined this um, evangelical, more conservative church in the small town where I was. They still have never had 
even a female elder uh, wow. at their church. So a different, a real different um, strand of Christianity, but uh, that was a really great starting place for me. And they do full immersion baptisms once a year. We have a big picnic in somebody's yard with a pond. So my sister and I were baptized together and like you walk into the pond and you go totally under the water. Mm. And, and so the, the part I really remember is coming back up from under the water. And, and then like, as, as you break the surface, just looking up and seeing the sky opening above and, and the sun shining down and um, just kind of a feeling that words don't really do justice. Mm justice to at all. And um, I know some of the scripture passages about baptism talk about it as like um, being born again or becoming a new creation. But I kind of felt not like, not like something new and different, but like I had become more me than I had ever been in a really cool way. So yes, I treasure that memory probably kind of unique in like an ELCA congregation that two of our pastors can remember their baptism because um, I know Sherry you were baptized when you were about 10 and the other thing I always appreciate about your story Muriel is that uh, I mean you're in a different place and uh, I think the rest of us are as well with uh, kind of evangelical Protestantism and, and yet, for you, the experience of it was, at least at that point in your life, super welcoming and leading you kind of to the next thing. And so it's, it's always valuable for me to hear that story, because I think uh, we all, or I at least, I'll just speak for myself, tend to uh, sometimes discount those in the Christian family with whom I disagree, and yet uh, they, they too have the spirit in different ways. And, and you know, you wouldn't be a part of this ministry if you hadn't been a part of that ministry. Yep, I did have a great time there. And um, yeah, um, I think it was a good space for me. It was like my way of rebelling as a teenager, <laughs> you know, to get to be in a space that's totally different than my family. But, um, you know, bless my family. They were standing at the edge of the pond with towels wow. when I came out. Wow, Which more, was a big, that was a big stretch for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. More good early faith mentors. What a blessing. Hey, Josh, uh, you and I have something in common in that we both grew up in the Missouri Synod, but I don't know if that was, that might not be part of your story. What? Uh, well, that actually was going to be, that actually was going to be my starting point. Um, okay. So as, I think as most people um, who are listening know, I did grow up. Uh, in another branch of the Lutheran family tree, the Missouri Synod, um, which is much more theologically conservative and traditional than the ELCA. Um, although surprisingly, only the middle ground, I think, of, of the three main Lutheran church bodies in the U.S. But I grew up in the Missouri Synod and was really deeply uh, entrenched in that in that church body. I went to the same church, which was just, it makes unity look like a small town church. Hmm. We probably had regularly like 15, 1700 people in worship over seven wow. services in a big. given weekend. 
uh, preschool through eighth grade grade school, which uh, my mom attended and I attended. And then I went on to a, a Missouri Synod High School and even went so far as to go to a Missouri Synod College, which is what brought me out to the Chicago area, uh, Concordia and River Forest. And even went so far as that in my first year to think that I wanted to become a high school English teacher in a Lutheran uh, high school. So I was deeply Missouri Synod um, for most of my, uh, for all of my growing up life. And I think the defining faith moment uh, for me comes late in my senior year of college. And that was around the time that I began uh, to realize about myself that I was gay. And I started that coming out process, uh, mostly to myself at that point, and then shortly thereafter to some close family. Um, and also by this point, I should point out, uh, I had switched tracks from teaching to pre-seminary. And one of the things to know about the Missouri Synod is that um, in addition to women not being able to serve as pastors, uh, openly LGBTQ people can also not serve as pastors in that denomination. And so I knew that ministry um, was pretty much out um, for me at that point. And so I spent a few years after college um, really not knowing uh, what I was going to do in life. Um, but shortly after, or actually, no, shortly before graduating college, I discovered uh, a church in Chicago, Urban Village. It's a Methodist church plant. And at the time they had two sites and now have expanded into four. Uh, but that was really the first place, or the first church where I really felt um, accepted. Uh, like they actually had uh, an explicit like affirmation statement, including LGBTQ people. And I always was, towards the beginning, I was waiting for the catch, like, oh, they say all are welcome, but I'm just waiting for the asterisk. And no, they actually did really mean it. And um, which is pretty big, if you know anything about the Methodist church, they're kind of in a difficult position right now uh, over this exact issue. Um, but I've said time and again that that church, Urban Village, uh, and I only spent maybe two years there, really opened me up to what Christianity could look like, a more open-minded, a more affirming, a more progressive um, expression of the faith I had grown up in. And it was really life-giving for me. And I think is Urban Village, in many ways, is the reason why I'm a pastor where I am today. And so I really give thanks for that yeah. turning point in my life. So do we. Yep, we do too. And I presume that was comprehensive of the community as opposed to maybe just the, the leadership? Yeah, so Urban Village was, was planted as a new church plant of the Methodist Church and standing pretty much in, in open defiance of, of Methodist um, polity or tradition on that issue. They really wanted to be a church that was LGBTQ affirming, that was anti-racist, um, and they they used the the three words over and over again. We have we have our three words: celebrate, share, renew. Uh, Urban Village's three words were bold, inclusive, and relevant. And they would say those at the beginning of every service that they were bold in their proclamation of the gospel. Uh, they were inclusive because they believed that 
Jesus tore down every wall that divides us and relevant because they wanted us to take that into our uh, Monday through Saturday lives in addition mm-hmm. to just our Sunday morning worship. So yeah, it was a community really founded or really rooted in that expression. Awesome. It is really cool when a community's words and their actions line up with each other, something we're all always working at. Uh, I can, you know, when I think of my story, I can relate to parts of yours, Josh. I, I too hit the college years thinking of uh, going into ministry in the Missouri Synod. And my complicating issue was that I had started dating a woman named Barbara, <clears throat> Horner, now Horner Eibler, who uh, was planning to become a Presbyterian minister. Uh, uh, which, of course, would be contrary to Missouri Synod doctrine. And, and if you were going to be in Missouri Synod ministry, you needed to, at that point, uh, be in relationship only with someone who also belonged to the Missouri Synod. So, uh, you know, like you, for different circumstances, was cast adrift a little bit. Uh, I always think, though, not, you know, of some of the... Uh, I guess to me, negative experiences, but this whole stream of people in my life who were just these little positives. And one that I had as a senior in college was, uh, you know, I went to Carroll in Waukesha. It's a Presbyterian school. The teaching faculty there in the religion department was a variety of uh, faith and denominational backgrounds. And my senior year, I did an internship at an American Baptist congregation in in Waukesha, and uh, the two pastors there uh, really understood the fact that I was coming out of a Missouri Synod tradition where I could never uh, share communion with anyone other than in a Missouri Synod congregation. And uh, at least at that point, the American Baptist churches only did communion like once every two or three months. So when you missed communion, you were like really missing it. And so the first time they shared communion and I was there, I didn't take communion. And I just remember having this conversation with Jim, one of the pastors, and uh, he was just so gentle and kind of wondered, well, why, why wouldn't you eat with somebody who offered you food? I, I can't remember how he said it, but I mean, it was just like, you know, of course, if you were sharing any other meal with somebody, what, how could you, in a sense, turn down their hospitality? And the next time they shared communion, uh, I took communion and uh, have rarely felt more, in a sense, included in in my life, Uh, even though I was doing something that I thought, you know, the lightning bolt would hit me from heaven on. And and instead, it was uh, a a moment of um, uh, acceptance for, you know, something that wasn't right or wrong, but uh, was just hard. No, I love that. Yeah, good for Jim. Jim, uh, like all of you, I, I think we've been blessed when we've had people who meet us where we're at and kind can kind of walk us to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, so, Josh, I'll circle back to you. Uh, what do you think? I think one of the things that's hard in the in the faith tradition and in Christianity is that for some people, there's this kind of one dramatic moment uh, where they experience a a faith transformation and for others, maybe not at all. It's what they're raised. 
and for others, it maybe seems like a series of progressions. What, what does that feel like to you? And, you know, how do you kind of communicate between all of those different faith experiences? Yeah, so I think for sure, at least in my experience, there are a lot of different moments along the way. Um, something Sherry said at the beginning was, uh, you know, it, it's sometimes difficult to recognize those turning points as they're happening. But when you look back on them, you can definitely, at least for me, you can see like that was a turning point or that was a formational moment. I think some of them are just a little more obvious than others. Uh, like I think perhaps the story of uh, Muriel's baptism is probably that defining moment. Um, one of those big defining moments for her, certainly my um, uh, coming out in many ways um, from the Missouri Synod into um, my new expression of Christianity and my new expression of self. Um, but I think for me, I've often reflected back on those little moments and thought, you know, my life would surely be a lot different had those little things not happened. And one of the things that stands out for me, so shortly after I um, I was uh, towards the end of being at Urban Village uh, because I was looking at seminary by that point and I needed to join an ELCA congregation if I was going to go to an ELCA seminary. And so I joined a congregation in Chicago that was loosely connected at the time with a, a Lutheran and Episcopal campus ministry. And I started doing a little bit of work with this campus ministry, kind of somewhere in between. I wasn't really a student, but I wasn't really a staff member. Um, I became a board member for a little while, oh, actually, well, but that's another, that's, good. that's another story. Um, so I was doing some volunteering with this campus ministry, and it was mostly a way to um, use up a lot of the free time I had in between college and seminary. But then when I visited seminary uh, and was and as a prospective student, I remember one of the women that was in the group with me, she was a hospital chaplain in Cincinnati. And I commented one day on this cross that she was wearing. And it was uh, just a very simple kind of little swoopy little things. I've actually, the, the story uh, will end with, I have one of these crosses now, and you've probably seen it on me as I've, lived, as I've led worship at Unity. But one morning at breakfast, after I had commented on her cross, uh, she gave one to me. She said she always carries an extra one with her in her purse. And it's the cross that's the symbol of this outdoor uh, street church ministry that she does with, with homeless or persons experiencing homelessness. And she put this cross on me and she said this real short, simple blessing. And she said, you know, may God, uh, you know, bless you in your ministry to the homeless. And I'm like, what ministry to the homeless? And then sometime later I was working with this campus ministry. And one of the big programs of that campus ministry was, uh, delivering sack lunches about 70 or 80 sack lunches every Sunday night to people in the downtown area of Chicago. And so those two moments together for me uh, is, is kind of an illustration of how I see, um, you know, the, those little moments that really add up to form us into the person we are uh, today. So I think I've probably more than answered your question, 
Uh, but that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at personally. Yeah. Well, and just a really cool perspective that, uh, someone can share a blessing with you and without really even seeing the path you live into it. And I, I think sometimes we, we hesitate to, uh, pray for other people and pray them towards something, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it. And, you know, you don't, you don't want to be intrusive, but on the other hand, you also want to uh, share good things with people and something that was really good for her became really good for you. Uh, so we, uh, coming into this, ask people for, you know, what should we talk about? And uh, we got a number of questions and we won't be able to, to get to all of them, but uh, one that I thought we could start with is, I, I think one of the most basic questions of faith, and uh, maybe you can take an opening stab at it, Muriel. Uh, if you're gonna get to heaven, do you have to be a follower of Jesus? I think there's something very special about Jesus that causes us all to maybe want to say the answer is yes. And then there's something very uh, uh, open and, and kind of boundaryless about Jesus. He crossed a lot of boundaries that would cause us to say, no, he would never lay that on somebody. Where do you even start on that? I mean, no would be my... Okay, <laughs> really well, that's, that's a good place to start. Uh, no, no, I don't. I, don't, I think whatever whatever heaven is like, it's an everybody's in, everyone's all together kind of thing. That that just seems to be the whole thrust of the entire Bible from start to finish is bringing people back together. So it would just seem very bizarre if at the random moment when your life ends, suddenly God's work of bringing people together just is over and you're off to hell instead. Uh, speaking of pivotal moments in faith, there was one moment when I was thinking of being baptized, but knowing that this church I was joining, you know, has some beliefs that really challenged my own families. I remember going to the pastor and being like, so do you think my parents are going to hell? And so this is a real, you know, yeah. traditional evangelical guy. And he said, well, from all my reading of the scriptures, it does seem like hell's a real place, but I guess it just must be pretty empty. <laughs> and, and for me at the time, that was enough to go forward. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I was visiting my grandmother in Florida and she's Jewish. And I was just sitting with her on her bed. It was like 11 o'clock at night and we were talking and, you know, she's near the end of her life. And she said like, I can't believe my granddaughter sitting here with a cross necklace on my bed yeah. and then she paused and she looked at me and she's like do you think I'm going to hell when I die and when you're looking at a person face to face there's just no way like the, <laughs> there's just no way that could possibly be how it works so that's all I got and was that dealt within herself or did she wonder if down deep you were judging her I think both. Okay. You know, I think she's close enough to the end of her life that she's wondering what's next. And, 
and she's wondering what to always, you know, loves me unconditionally, but wonders what to make of me and how to explain me to her Jewish friends at the pool. Yeah. You told her Um, love completes everything, right? Yeah, I might just said absolutely not. Yeah. I guess I always just go back to, you know, God is so much larger than what we can even imagine. And, you know, if God created us, why and how would God want to be separated from us? You know, whether it's your Jewish grandmother or us or, you know, Muslim brothers and sisters or, you know, people all the way across the world. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I just, that's what it comes down to for me. Um, you know, God, God wants us to be close, um, both with one another and with God. And um, although, you know, ironically, so my funny story is um, in order to be ordained as a pastor, you have to write a, a large essay and then uh, go through an interview process, your last interview process during your seminary career. So it's a, it's a pretty big deal. And Pastor Zovig Zamzow asked me a question so a little intimidating to begin with and you know I had like so many questions just drilled at me for the course of I don't even know how long a half hour hour I'm sure you were loving it Sherry Uh, yeah it was a little stressful and then um she asked me this question kind of the question along these lines is if you didn't believe in Jesus would you still go to heaven and I I'm sure I stammered out some answer that was not you know, quite acceptable. And I just, she was just staring me down the entire time. And I'm like, this is it. I'm never going to become a pastor. I'm going to like be denied right here. It, you know, I'm done. Um, and then I, they asked me to leave the room. I started crying and, um, you know, I just, I, I, you know, she kept on like struggling, like, so everyone's just saved that it doesn't matter what you do. Nothing matters. Um, but you know, again, I, I just go back to every, everything that we see from the scriptures, like Muriel said, talks about a God who wants to be close, wants to be in relationship with us in with us. And, and so I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. Um, I, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, what this is like, but I guess in my, my mind, I kind of almost picture this point, um, after we die where we just sort of like, you know, get to be with God and maybe it's Jesus. Um, but we kind of look back at our lives and, and, you know, what could we have done? What could we have done better? What mistakes, you know, did we maybe do? And, and somehow we, we are given, um, a different perspective on those things of like maybe what we could have done instead so that those things are kind of made we're made aware of those things but that it doesn't end there and and then Jesus you know as Jesus does always gives us a second chance to you know now you know go on toward what's next and so the what's next is you know how are we able to you know, live with one another and dwell in God's presence um, in a way that maybe our humanness kept us from. Um, And I, so I I just, I like to think about that. And um, I I think sometimes too, when, when people ask that question, 
um, you know, it, it, it is like not knowing what happens after we die. And, um, and I, I don't think any one of us fully know. I mean, I'm not God. And if anyone tries to think that they are, you know, you should be leery of that person because none of us has um, that answer. None of us knows all that there is. And, um, you know, I, I think we just, you know, can keep on um, trusting that God is is larger and bigger than we can ever imagine. And so is that love and grace too. Um, and, and maybe some forgiveness too. Um, you know, where we have gone wrong and, you know, left things undone and, you know, maybe hurt people when um, we didn't even realize we were. Well, maybe that's the answer you actually gave to that committee <laughs> without actually I'm sure knowing. It wasn't. So I'm just curious because when, when Solvig was asking you, like, isn't there anything you have to do? I mean, the answer is grace, isn't it? Yeah. So, so after all of that questioning and, you know, like, you, you know, so are you telling me you believe in universal salvation? Um, I literally came back into the room and she said she just wanted to hear what I had to say and that I said it with conviction. So I'm like, uh, wow. so Ouch. that's, that's my conviction now. I'm not God. <laughs> that's a really, that's a really good conviction. That's a really good conviction. Hey, we, um, I, I do want to take a little time for us to, to again, reflect kind of personally. Um, the last couple of months have been so difficult for our world and, I think each person individually, uh, first with COVID, safer at home, uh, a lot of stuff that was really hard, people sick, people losing jobs, uh, then the killing of George Floyd and uh, everything that that rightly trigger, triggers in uh, the black community and people of color in terms of living year after year after year with the, the stress of uh, feeling vulnerable and unsafe in a world that shouldn't be that way for them. And I think, you know, we're all white and our awareness that uh, we have a lot of uh, power that's just kind of given to us and, and uh, time to use it for the good. Uh, so I, I'm just kind of wondering when we each kind of think about our ministries and our own lives, maybe you could comment on one or the other of these. Has, has there been, uh, a moment in the last two, three months that's uh, been really hard for you personally or spiritually to deal with or cope with? Uh, or going in the other direction, is there something that you perceive in our world uh, right now from uh, a, a spiritual perspective that is changing uh, for the good and, and, and it looks like it will? will change, I guess I should say, for the better and for good, however you'd want to phrase that. And um, I don't know, anybody want to take a stab at that first? That's a big one. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, when I, this actually flows really nicely out of, out of our previous discussion and talking about um, heaven. I'm going to go in the direction of, of the, you know, what I see kind of gaining momentum in a, in a good positive way. And I, th I think reflecting particularly on 
uh, the recent protests around the death of George Floyd and, um, and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and others. I grew up in a pretty, uh, pretty safe bubble uh, in suburban metro Detroit, uh, pretty white community, fairly affluent community, and moved to Chicago for college um, and for seminary and lived in uh, and served a congregation in Omaha that was pretty close uh, to Omaha's inner city. Um, and that was eye-opening in a lot of ways. But I think one thing that has really, you know, given me a little bit of hope in, in the hard days of these seeing these protests unfold on TV has been you know, I, I think to myself that I, I think that people who are, who are protesting racial injustice, racial inequity, the, the violence of dealing with that as a person of color in your lived experience, that protesting that and trying to strive for a way of living that is so different, I think that's what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus called it, looks like. Um, you know, we, we ask questions about, you know, do you, do you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? And it always strikes me that the, the motive or the, the thinking behind that question is that oftentimes I think we as Christians, you know, liberal, conservative, wherever we are theologically, we spend a lot of time thinking about what comes after life and we don't spend so much time on what happens during life. And you read the gospels and Jesus was concerned about what happens during life. He says, you know, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Like this is something that is already unfolding in all of the ways that he healed people um, and ministered to them where they were, as they were. Um, and I see that happening in our world today. I see that happening with doctors and nurses and caregivers on the front lines and hospitals who are very much in the thick of the, the pandemic. I see that happening with protesters are out in the streets. I see that happening with our own members who every time I look at that bench in the Cross of Life entranceway, it is full of masks. It is never empty. Like people are doing the work to care for people now. And that has just been something so remarkable um, to see in these last several weeks. Live and be in, be in the moment. Muriel or Sherry? What causes um, your mind? I've been really struggling lately that we, we the Otto family, are not doing foster care anymore. Um, just because I'm, I'm struggling with not being cynical about all of the things that people, there are so many things people are passing around to, to read, you know, read this and listen to this and inform yourself but at least for me the only thing that's ever really changed me is interacting with an actual person who's different than me and when we were doing foster care that was just like one of the few times when we just were in black spaces and interacting with black people because most of the people in Milwaukee who are foster parents are black and a lot of the kids are too um and we can't do that right now, you know, with our housing. And it's just meant that I'm just in white circles all the time. And of course, being with our partner churches would be 
that's the one big way I get out of my white bubble. And we can't, we can't right now. We can't be physically together. So um, I'm, I'm really missing that foster care experience lately. Well, I think you speak to something that we all feel, which is struggles and incompleteness and um, you can't always resolve it, right? I mean, uh, you keep praying and you keep working at it, but uh, part of faith is coming to grips with all the stuff that feels incomplete, right? And it doesn't always feel so so satisfying. Yeah. Um, Sherry, no, something I you're struggling with, something you feel hopeful about? Yeah, I, I've said all along that um, this has been hard for every single person, just in a lot of different ways. Everyone's reality is really vastly different. Um, but everyone has been affected by COVID-19 in some way, shape or form, you know, whether, um, you know, health-wise or work-wise or financially, socially. Um, and, and this probably will be a turning point in all of our lives, you know, that it will shape us and impact us. And it is already impacting um, who we are as the church. And I, you know, I, so I've been struggling with a lot of things just in my own little world and family life um, and and still trying to figure out kind of how do we get out of this um, you know especially as per what Muriel just said in that um, we can't physically be around a table together right now we can't physically um, you know have Christ's meal in some of the ways that we once had um, and and I, I guess my sadness and my my hope is that, you know, how can we be around the table together um, as people too? I mean, how can, um, you know, we as, as white, white pastors and white people like hear stories, um, you know, from, from some of our black brothers and sisters that we haven't heard before, or, um, you know, how can we like, how can we help make some change actually happen? Um, for those who know me, you know I get incredibly frustrated when we spend hours and hours and hours and hours talking about things. I can't even imagine what it's like for, you know, people of color who have spent years and decades, you know, talking about um, some of the things that we're still talking about today that, you know, still haven't changed. Um, so I, you know, I, again, I don't have any great answers for that. I just, um, you know, I pray that, you know, maybe with all of this, um, it can be a turning point in a positive way that, you know, like Josh said, you know, we focus about what is it that we're able to do, you know, as the people of God here and now in our lives, um, in this moment, in this day, um, and not to be overwhelmed or focused on, the anxiety of not knowing what's ahead, but you know, how is it that we can listen and hear stories and ask, ask to hear the stories of, of one another and, um, and be people to, to try and support one another right now. Um, and, and I don't know, I mean, as, as sometimes as hard as um, internet connection can be, maybe, you know, we create a new table around you know, technology for the time being, just to be with people. 
Well, I think we found that with our weekly uh, worship services that whether they're the Thursday night prayer services or the weekend pre-recorded service, it is totally different. And uh, yet if you can embrace the good parts of the difference, uh, it becomes life-giving. Yeah. Um, I, I think a small answer for me is, is just in addition to all the other dynamics that we've kind of talked about, there's always the dynamic of, of age and, you know, we joke a lot about this, but I mean, I'm the oldest one of the four of us and uh, I, I, uh, I think it's hard not to become uh, jaded as you grow older but I had a really cool conversation with someone who's my age, my wife, Barbara, uh, recently, and, and, and I was feeling really jaded about some stuff and, and not wanting to engage. And, and she just said, you know, uh, you know what kind of the right thing is. And, and years ago, that would have been an easy thing for you to do. You should just be in touch, you know, with, with who you are. And, uh, that was really good for my spirit, and uh, I, I think it's why the church can be such a unique and powerful place, because it's really one of the few institutions um, left where the, there are all these generations, you know, where there are two, three, four, even five generations in one place, and uh, we're not always speaking the same language, and we're not always from the same, we, we can't have the same background or perspectives. We're just from such different worlds sometimes. Uh, but to the extent that it puts us back in touch uh, with, you know, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the best part of ourselves, uh, then it's the perfect place to be, whether it's virtual, uh, in person, or otherwise. So, we, I think, have gone slightly over how long these podcasts usually run. Man, you, yes, I'm inviting the pastors, John. Man, <laughs> right? four pastors in one room. You know, honestly, I think it's a miracle that this is not running like two hours. I think we're still under 45 minutes. But I should wrap it up. Sherry, thanks for being with us. Hey, it was an honor to be here. Josh, thanks for being with us. Great to be here. And Muriel, thanks for being with us. Best 50 plus minutes ever. Oh, come on. Is it really 50? <laughs> yeah, you might be right. It might be. Anyhow, uh, thank you if you've been listening. Thanks for hanging in there a little longer, but I, I hope um, uh, meaningful for you. It is for us. It's, it's yeah. cool for us to be able to talk together about uh, what's important and real and faithful and uh, add to the conversation. We're praying for you. Pray for us. And let's pray for our world all together. This has been Belief Beat. Uh, thanks for joining us. Goodbye for now.